Good morning. Today, I'm very pleased to have a guest on our show who is extremely active in protecting the orcas, and she has actually a film that she's been working with producing coming out soon called Coextinction, and we're going to bring her right in. Her name is Gloria. Can't wait to talk to her. Welcome to our show, Gloria. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. So tell us a little bit, where are you right now? Right now, I'm an hour away from Montreal. Um, it's my mom's place. I came back after we did the march, and we, it was postponed very um, just abruptly because of COVID. And I just came back here because it's like a home base, and it's just safe. And then I've been, yeah, bunkering down here since mid-March. And it's in the woods by a lake, so it's honestly very, very nice. Great. So you are producing um, an important film that's coming out soon called Coextinction about the self-resident orcas. And you are living um, near Vancouver Island. I think you're in San Francisco. Is that correct? Normally? I, I've been kind of like a transient. I'm uh, between yeah. San Francisco and Vancouver Island traveling a lot. Yeah. Okay, great. And I knew about the march because I was following that a little bit. Tell us just a little bit about the, what, the, what the march was about. Yeah, so the march was um, a way to get the four lower Snake River dams breached. These four dams are obsolete and they kill 8 million salmon every year, which are, which are the southern resident killer whales' main food source. And, you know, for decades now, everyone has been doing so much in the community to breach these dams, but nothing happens. And so Morgan and I wanted to do something bigger, something never done that would hopefully get more attention, global news outlets talking about it. And, you know, and we just thought the march, the march was the way to do it. So we were walking from Portland, Oregon to um, the Ice Harbor Dam, which is the first of the four lower Snake River dams you get to from Portland, which was 236 miles. That's like a 380 kilometers. And we were going to do it in 22 days. Um, but on March 14th, um, you know, we, we wanted to keep going. We were such in our little bubble. We were about 30 people walking and we had grown so close to one another. And, and, but really like we couldn't ask people to come join us. We couldn't keep walking in a group of 30 people. It was getting too um, dangerous and not safe. So yeah, we had to postpone it until further notice. Yeah, I was following it. And I was wondering if you could share how are, how were you received when you were dur during your march going through different cities and things? Is there awareness out there? Do people really understand what's going on? And how, how do you help raise people's awareness? Yeah, that's actually a really, really good question. Um, because the more you're on the West Coast, you know, in Portland, we had more people the first couple of days, of course, because we're next to a bigger city, but also because the closer you're to the ocean, the more the people know about the orcas, know about the salmon, know about the economics of it and how the dams, you know, don't produce enough electricity, um, that taxpayers' money are actually losing money on these dams every year. And the more we were walking out east, we had um, Jim Waddell, who used to work for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, for those who don't know, um, is in charge of these dams. And uh, he retired and now he's, you know, one of the main people fighting to get them breached because he knows that economically it doesn't make sense and environmentally, of course. And so he was with us and he was saying, you know, the closer we get there, we're going to have to change our signs. We can't have signs that say, save the whales, save the salmon. People 
don't care and it could get dangerous. Um, we're not going to get good reactions from people. And so that was the first thing when we were like, okay, we would get a lot of flip, like people flipping us off. Really? Um, yeah. Like, so, so it depended. Like some people would honk with support. But some people just really like one car felt like it kind of swerved toward us one day. Um, it was definitely you, you felt that people were not pro you being here. But what was interesting is that at the bottom of that was a lot of um, mis like misinformation and people not knowing. And so, you know, um, we met randomly this one woman whose mom was like a columnist for a local newspaper there. And we sat with her at like this bar at the end of the day. And she had no idea that like her money, her taxes, you know, were going to pay for these four dams to be there, even though they were producing, they produce only 3% of the surplus of electricity in Washington. That's so little. If they were to be breached, there would be, you know, no changes at all. But the misinformation spread there, the lobbying is saying that there would be floods, um, oh, you know, really? blackouts, like that. And then we would have to switch to coal and the climate crisis that doesn't make any sense. But yeah, so there was all of that. It was super, super interesting. And what was great too is, of course, some people, you know, didn't want to listen. But others we got to speak with and we got to, you know, educate them and tell them about it. And so that was really, really cool as well. But of course, there's, it's engraved the more you get out east towards Pasco and the Tri-Cities area. So it was, it was very interesting to see. Yeah, it sounds like it was really, they're really keeping, for whatever reason, they want people to stay in fear and think that the worst is going to happen if you breach the dams. And do you, do you have an idea of, are there a lot of employees that are working, you know, would, would there be like a lot of people losing their jobs if the dams are breached? Like what is the real, the real concerns, not like the fake scary, like, oh, we're going to go back to coal and we're going to be flooded and this is going to be like a disaster, but like the realities of it, we don't have to say it's good or bad, but the reality, what, what, what is happening? If you breach those, how many employees are going to say, well, I don't have work now? Yeah, that's actually the the thing that came up last week. So we're strategizing again, right? Thinking how can we have the biggest impact when we get back out there? And I actually need to find the number of the amount of people who would um, lose their jobs with these four dams. I know some people would, of course. Um, and I want to try and work with them rather than against them, right? Because it's not their fault. They're just, they have a job and they're not, you know, I'm sure that they don't want the salmon to go extinct. They don't want the orcas to go extinct. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to get a hold of them to try and work with them rather than against them. But on the other side of it, um, it would actually create a lot of jobs, different jobs for sure. Yeah. But um, the breaching would create a lot of jobs for that, you know, like all the people coming to do it. And then actually it would create this like wildlife and lushness yeah. over there that it would be like, wine valleys um tourism would grow a lot so you could actually have like an amazing economy there um which again it's like shifting the mindset and getting people to you know think about that and think long term um that's so yeah. hard yeah i think that's the hardest thing is shifting people's mindset and because maybe they, they would be willing to sit with you and a, a few of them will be, become very sensitive to what's going on in the environment and start thinking like, wow, this is awful. This is happening. And I also need to eat and keep my family going. So what am I going to do? The people working for these dams, 
would they be able to make the switch uh, with those people's um, specialties and what they know how to do? Would they be able to use that for the to breach the dams, or would it have to be a whole new group of people that come in to do that? I don't know. That's what I'm trying to figure out right now. Is because I from my understanding, I think some people would be able to, you know, lend their expertise to them being breached, or they would be able to go work on other dams. But I'm not a hundred percent about, like, a hundred percent sure about it. And so that's why I'm trying to learn about. Like, I've I've seen, you know, Jim Waddell who worked on these dams, and now, you know, even as a retiree, he's doing so much to get them breached and has so much knowledge that I feel like, at least, the civil engineers working on these dams would be able to. Um, continue to work but yeah I need to get I need to get a lot more info on that and then the person that your gym is that his name you said mm-hmm. yeah he um he must be I'm assuming he's like one in a million that's out there I mean from the reserves and from military doing this right I mean are there other people that he worked with before that are supporting him or is he kind of alone or how is that working out he's he's definitely feels the loneliness, but um, there is one other person who who used to work for the U.S. Army Corps as well. Um, And the first time I met him, his name is Chris, um, he still worked for the U.S. Army Corps. And now he's retired and he actually marched with us um, the whole length. And he's this, uh, this badass old man. And he just like, you know, powered through every day. And again, he worked there and he knows the truth and he knows that these dams need to be breached. What makes the most sense for everyone, like for U.S. Army Corps, for Bonneville Power Administration. And again, I don't want to include people working on these four dams because I don't know the the depth of it at this point, but. Yeah, yeah. it sounds like these are key, key people to making these changes because you need, they have that expertise and they, uh, they're from the army. And so people are going to know that they know what's going on and hopefully that'll bring like more importance to this because mm-hmm. if we, if we look at things from an extreme way, you were saying like people were upset when they saw your signs, like they were flipping you off or whatever. And it's like, yeah, you need that type of military person, army type guy with you. That's going to, whatever he's going to exude, whatever people's stereotypes are, oh, well, like you're a hippie or whatever they think, like, you don't know what you're talking about. Peace and love. Yay. You know, like people have these ideas of like, um, black and white situations and so it's kind of like that sounds like the perfect balance to get people to say like yeah this is serious look there's these army guys that are supporting this cause too and I think that yeah having all the right answers and all the right people so that people have their fears put at ease a little bit um or play on a different fear (laughs) yeah (laughs) I I mean it's like it's crazy because he's been, you know, his main goal now is to spread the information. And he, he actually started a, a foundation um, or a, a 501c3 uh, called Damn Sense where, you know, they share all the information out there. But still, there's such like a powerful lobbying behind this that a lot of the information gets lost. And, you know, when with, with so many people, like if you're lost in one way of thinking and that's what you've always been taught, you know, like same with like climate change deniers right like it's so hard to change that perspective and so as much as we have him and we have all the scientists like saying all of this information it's still very hard to like reshift the gears and to but we're we're well set up we've got the perfect team right so yeah 
Sounds great. And I know that you are working on a film and um, I spoke to somebody also that you're working with that's more of like helping raise awareness about the situation. Her name is Snow. And we did an interview with her and she was like raving about how like powerful you are and just how great you are. And I was wondering, can you tell us a little bit about that film that you're working on? And also, how did you come to be, I'm assuming some kind of expert or just really aware of, or maybe just really connected to the self-resident orcas? Like, how did all of that evolve? Yeah. Um, okay, so first things first, I guess. Um, the film you're talking about is Coextinction. It's a documentary that we're working to have done in fall. And then, you know, do local screenings all throughout the Pacific Northwest. So many people out there, you know, it's their own backyard and they don't know that this is happening. So educate on the ground um, and then festivals and then show it to the world to really educate. And, uh, but more than that, inspire people to take action because, um, so the documentary is co-directed, produced by me and Elena, two young women who are just Canadian and who threw ourselves into this issue because we cared. And, you know, we need more people like this. And um, whether it's for the orcas or the salmon or something else, um, you know, we all need to be taking one side of the battle that is like saving the environment and saving ourselves ultimately, which is also what co-extinction is about. Um, The interconnectedness that we all share in, you know, the issues, you know, by whether you're by the ocean or not, your daily life is, is affecting um, these animals and and our greater like ecosystem in the world, but also in the solutions. Everything is interconnected. Even economically, the loss of yeah. the orcas and the salmon, you know, will affect is affecting the Pacific Northwest. And then, as for how I came to do this, um, I've always loved orcas, which sometimes sounds so silly to just say like I've just loved orcas. <laughs> but um, I watched Free Willy when I was a kid and. Like I watched it every day after that for, I asked my mom a couple, like a few months back and she said like, I think for like a year or something like that, I watched it every day. Um, and I think that movie sparked a lot of um, passion in a lot of people. A lot of the people walking with us who came from France, you know, um, they um, were part of the Morgan's community, but also a lot of them watched Free Willy and they were like, so why do you love orcas? And I was like, Free Willy. But anyways, um, <laughs> I've always loved them. And then when I graduate, I went on to study journalism because I was never, I wanted to be a marine biologist, but science in me didn't really like click. Um, So I was like, this way I can tell their stories. I can fight for them. Um, And when I finished university, um, I just, I, I felt like I had to go out West and, you know, be with them, learn from them. And I thought I knew so much from all these documentaries I had watched and all of that. Um, and I got this job with Straight Watch. So we were monitoring the Southern resident killer whales, their behavior around boats and their health and all of that. And, uh, and I got the job. And I remember the first time I saw them, I thought I knew everything. And oh my God, I knew nothing. And I definitely, I'm still learning every day about these orcas. You know, I think everyone is. Um, and there's people who like, scientists like Ken Balcom, who has spent their entire life, you know, researching them and they know the personality of each orca and all of that. And I'm still very much learning that. Um, But I I did a lot of the learning. I learned so much about these orcas during that summer. And 
as well as really understood just how critical the situation was. And that's when I decided to make a documentary because I wanted to create an impact. And for me, you know, that's how I thought I could do it was with um, a film that could um, make people understand just how bad the situation is, but also make them want to go out there and take action. So this film, how, how long ago did you start it? We started it um, summer, September 2017. So it was definitely a little like seed um, when I went out west to study the orcas. And, um, and, you know, I wanted to do it. And then I met Alana and we started to work on it together and really having someone else to work on it with helps a lot in, you know, like ideas and bring in more people to the team. And, you know, it's that old saying of, if you want to go fast, do it alone. If you want to do it big and good, do it together. And so that's really what coextinction has been. And it was actually named 78 at the time because there were 78 Southern resident killer whales. But as we were, getting ready to go film and raising funds to go film. Um, three more died and we we're like, oh, like we can't like, what are we going to name this? And then that's when we realized the connection with the salmon and coextinction is the loss of one species affecting many other species um, on a tropic levels. And that's what's happening with the salmon in the Pacific Northwest. When, when I first saw the title that like gave me chills almost like coextinction to me was such a powerful scary almost scary title when i first saw that i was thinking like this is this can be really really powerful and really show people that interconnectedness we have and hopefully covid is going to push that even more with people realizing how interdependent we are how everything is important not just where we live <laughs> um everything is connected and we see it all over the world and what's so hard i think for people I was living in France in Marseille um, for many, many, many years. And if I had started looking at the orcas and the situation and knowing about it, I'd honestly, I don't think I would have taken it as seriously as I am now that I'm on the island, which is sad, but I just feel so much more of a connection because I feel like this is my new home and I see how important it is. And I am enjoying, I was living in a big city and I think you feel really removed and when you're not in nature a lot, I really feel that you can really feel you're not part of it at all and not even think about it. And being in it, like we're, we have forests around us and I can, I can drive in 10 minutes, I can walk around the beach. And I feel so, so lucky, you know, the things I see, the birds I hear, the smells of everything natural going on in the forest, the mushrooms, just like everything. Even if you're at the beach, sometimes you see the otters kind of out and you're like, wow, I feel like this is so much more important and valuable than being in a city now. This, this has more meaning for me and it's so fragile and so beautiful. And I just started following different organizations that are doing their best like yours, trying to raise awareness. And now I feel people need to know about these things. And sometimes it's disturbing. So people don't wanna, they don't want to watch the documentary. They don't want to see it. And even recently I saw some images of things that were so disturbing. I felt that it was almost too much to have posted those type of videos. It kind of, my whole day I felt traumatized and I thought, I feel, I, I want to know what's going on. And at the same time, I can't be, I can't help everybody. I can't help everything. I can't help every cause. So it's kind of like, you have to kind of choose different causes and 
yeah. right? Do do the best you can where you are, I guess. And um, 100%. so this film, The Co-Extinction, I was thinking like, I can't wait till this is out and tell, to tell people about it. And I'm so interested in it. And the team that you've had to get around you for it, I'm, I imagine it's, it's huge. Like, tell us just a little bit about who's on your team. I mean, you must have divers and you must have marine biologists and... Honest, not even, I mean, it's, so it's very funny that the team grew very organically and, uh, and it still is growing very organically. Um, so at first it was me, then Elena and I like, um, you know, like matriarchs of co-extinction, I guess, um, with all my little orca puns. Um, uh, and then, um, Andrew Luba joined us, who is one of the producers and he was just going to help us originally with our Kickstarter because he has done a lot. Um, but he's a very, very smart guy um, and very compassionate as well. And he, you know, really fell in love with the project and, and stayed and, and, and has been, you know, a huge part of creating um, this film and bringing creative um, like input and uh, helping with the fundraising and, and all of that. Um, and he's studying environmental law, which is also cool because we get that um, perspective. He's very good at like argumenting and, you know, thinking of the bigger picture, how to, it's almost funny for a film, like he brings in like, what's our thesis behind everything else? So at the end of the film, the people have like, we've like shifted, not just, you know, it's one thing preaching to the choir, but also the people who aren't on our side at the beginning will see this film, want to see this film and also be like, their mind will have shifted by the end of it and so um so you know for that the, the bigger overarching issue comes back to all the issues the orcas and the salmon face are it comes back to how we like you said relate to nature and are so disconnected to it and it relates to us thinking that environment and economy are separate and that we can just take and take and take which is what we're all talking about now of course with the climate crisis but just the the shift that needs to happen. And then what's super interesting with these issues is that um, they actually don't make sense economically. Like the dams, um, the fish farms, all of that, like there's like an easy solution for all of them. Easy in the grand scheme of things. Um, yeah, and then uh, we found cinematographers because um, as much as I love to film, I'm not like an expert in filming and we want it to be really high quality so it could, you know, win awards, get all the like, buzz that it needs to really be this film like oh have you like heard of co-extinction like you got to go watch it that's how we're going to get like a lot of people talking about it so we found um different cinematographers then this other per we then we kind of had this moment where a lot of people were reaching out to us and like it was crazy i was hopping on with everyone because i wanted to meet all these people that wanted to help it was so cool like so many people being like hey i want to help what can i do um and one of them uh, her name is Tori, was actually working for Soundwatch when I was working for Straight Watch. So it's the American equivalent of um, Straight Watch. And she knew everything about the orcas. So, um, and she was a, a journalist, filmmaker. So she came on and she was like an extra videographer and producer. Um, we have a composer, Julian, who's incredible. Um, and it's really cool. We created like, well, he created... Um, you know, the theme to co-extinction. We have like our own little theme now, like all the really good films do, which is super exciting and we love it. Um, Carolina, who has done amazing work with like the UN and, you know, she's from the Azores in Portugal. So she has this really deep connection with the ocean, but then this really like smart way of communicating and building like 
an organization and how to do it well. So she brings in all of that talent. Um, Morgan, who you spoke with, um, she recently joined, but she has been on board for a very long time. And I'm sorry, the list is so long. I can stop saying person to person. I really love everyone. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, like it's a lot of the time, Elena and I will take these calls, but I feel like they're the, almost the people that, um, we don't get, they don't get to like, um, speak themselves and, well, they get to, but you know, not necessarily in, in the interviews and they're so amazing. They deserve like the biggest of shout outs. So yeah, Morgan, um, who also has this really strong, um, passion with the orcas and we met, um, through another team member, which I'll get to afterwards. <laughs> um, and she wanted to do the, we are the orca movement, um, which is, she was bringing influencers from France to San Juan Island in Washington to um, cover the issue and bring it back to their community. In total, it was like, I think altogether, they're probably at like 4 million, uh, like a community of 4 million if you add it all up. And they got to bring the issue back and so many news covered it in France and it was amazing. And they were giving all this, like all these actions that people could follow. And so we partnered with, uh, with Morgan for that movement and, uh, and we really felt a strong bond. And so then we organized the March together and, uh, and then she's like, I want to join co-extinction and like help with all these big campaigns in France. And, uh, and so now she recently just joined, which has been really, really cool. She's a, she's like a spearheader. She'll, she'll see an issue and she'll go and she'll tackle it and she'll make sure that things change, which is so needed. And there's Emily, who um, is from the UK, and she's a big Sea Shepherd volunteer. So she brings in also all that like badassness. And um, and then we have a lot of mentors um, who have been really huge in um, you know giving like helping us with connections, but also giving feedback on the on the cuts we create to make sure that it's the strongest film possible. And that's pretty much the team. It sounds, I, I'm so excited to see it come out. It sounds amazing. And do you think it's okay? It's like for all ages, I, I assume it's for everybody. Yeah, definitely. We want, we want, you know, young kids to be able to watch it, older people to be able to watch it. Ideally, you know, we need everyone involved. Um, I always think a lot of people say, you know, oh, it's up to the next generations to fix this mess. But the truth is like, as long as you've got beating heart you can create a different you can like create change and make a difference so it's for all ages i wanted to ask you then something like you can take a couple seconds to reflect uh about it but i find that everybody can do something um that's that's going to better the environment by just being a little more aware so if you were to give us your advice on maybe like three things that anybody can do super easily that's not going to like change their lifestyle so much that they're like, no, I'm not ready for that. But just three super easy things that we can do. What would those three things be? Yeah. Um, actually we get that asked a lot. So I think the first one, which I think genuine, you know, there's a lot that I know depending on, you know, your financial status and, you know, if you're a mother of many, many kids and you come home at night and you're tired, like I know it depends on, you know, like where you are and who you are. Um, but this one, I think anyone can really do. And what's great is it's not just Canadians and Americans that can do it. It's call and write to your government and to the Canadian and American government. So call to the climate crisis affects the orcas and the salmon. So call your government and say what you want them to do. You know, they, they do take that into consideration. And if you get a lot of people 
um, calling and writing that, that does in the long term have an impact. So use your voice. You have it, you know, vote when it's time to vote, but also every day keeping your government accountable. You know, so many times we like, we see the government trying to get away with things and we're like, dee, 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 dee. nope. Um, and not that it always works, but it's, it's big and it's, and it's, and you need to do it. And then of course you can still, we had so many people from Europe, um, call and write to the governor of Washington, Governor Inslee about the dams. And you know, the pressure is building and I know that we're about to have him crack and finally say that he wants the dams breached. So yeah, call, contact your government, whether it's writing, calling, emailing, let them know that you're here, you're watching. Um, and then the second one I would say specifically for um, the salmon and the orcas is stop eating salmon. I would even go as far as, you know, try a vegetarian or vegan diet, reduce your meat intake if, if you're not, if you're not able to be fully vegetarian or vegan. Um, just try, learn, um, you know, put a bunch of spices in vegetarian food and it tastes just the same. Not just the same, but it's still very, very good. Um, and yeah, if you can eat, stop eating salmon, but also fish in general. We are overfishing our oceans and, you know, salmon is such like a... We again with fish, like like you said, we're so disconnected from it. And salmon feeds this entire coast. It feeds the bears, the wolves, um, the birds, the orcas, the trees. When the salmon die, they decompose and they feed the trees that give us air. You know, um, so they're they're very much connected with everything, and we just see them as food on a plate. We just see them as like, oh, I'm eating sushi or, or I'm like out at brunch, I'm going to have smoked salmon because it's so fancy, but there's no respect. There's no gratitude. Um, and that really needs to change. So I would say that one. And especially during COVID you're at home, you know, like I know it takes time to shift that because when you eat meat, it's a lot faster. You know, you like know how to do it, but again, reprogram your habits and then you can like start to learn and then it doesn't take as much time. Um, and the last one, Hmm. There's so many. <laughs> um, what do you think about all the plastic that's going on? And there's a lot of petitions out there trying to stop one use plastic. And really, mm -hmm. there's a lot of stores out there now where you can bring your stuff and have it refilled. So you don't have to buy and throw out or buy and recycle because there was, from what I understand, a lot of things um, aren't being recycled because no one wants to buy recycled plastic to produce things anymore. It's becoming less interesting, less whatever. Mm. And so even if people think I can recycle this, I don't know how high the chances are yeah. that it will be recycled and will be reused. And so mm -hmm. I always think like, yeah, if we can reduce how much plastic we buy as well. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, that's definitely one. The truth is I feel like oh, there's like, there's not one thing. And of course, starting one place is better than not starting because there's too much and it's overwhelming. Um, so of course, reducing your plastic, I would say in a general, like reducing your carbon footprint, you know, like whether it is by stopping to eat meat and cheese um, or like any animal products or whether it is, you know, biking instead of driving, like taking the plane less, all of that. Um, but of course then there's, I, I think as like an overarching thing, it's to show up. 
uh, and also learn, learn, educate, because so many, so many of them come from like not knowing, right? Like I'm still learning so much. And um, for example, there's that new documentary, I need to watch it, um, uh, Planet of the Humans. And, and, you know, my boyfriend came back afterwards because he watched it and he's like, oh, we're all like, there's no hope, like blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. But then like he got all riled up and then he's like, okay, how can we, f-? and then I was like, okay, how can we fix it? And then we were like, okay, like trying to think and it's, it's, big how we're going to fix it. So, um, so just like learn, because if you learn, then you can tackle the problem. And then also when you come in contact with people who, you know, don't know as well as you, um, you can argue with people who are on different like sides of the story. Um, and you can, you know, be smart about it, find solutions, um, and be a part of the solutions and then show up. I think a lot of people don't show up. Like, you know, it's like that, that classic thing on Facebook where you're like, attend, yes, I'll be there. Um, and then you don't show up and it's like show up because it's not just the orcas. It's not just the salmon. It's, you know, we are seeing it. The economy is being impacted. The culture is being impacted. Um, the first nations are suffering, you know, health, their health is suffering. Their economy is suffering. Um, it's ourselves. We are part of nature. Like you so very well said. And, um, if, the orcas are an indicator species. They're indicating that things are wrong and we need to shift change and do as much as you can while also, of course, being gentle with yourself. Yeah, that's key because you can feel kind of guilty also if you're very sensitive, like feel like, wow, like what, I never be able to make a big impact and I feel bad that I did this or I'm not doing enough. And I think, like you said, it just starts with, what can I do today? I don't have to eat fish anymore. I don't need to eat yeah. salmon. I'm not going to like starve, obviously. And 100%. Um, all of these small things, everyone can decide like what small step can I take today? Mm. Even if it's really small, maybe I'm going to only buy natural products for, for food and for beauty yeah. and for cleaning. I mean, there's a lot of things we can do that are small steps. And like you said earlier, sometimes people have really busy lives and they have a smaller budget and they're thinking, I, I don't have time or the money to buy fancy things, but there's also very easy cleaning products we can make by ourselves that don't take any time at all. They're very simple and basic. It's just that all these huge companies yeah. in marketing have conditioned us to think we have to use a specific soap for our hands and a specific soap for our dishes. And, you know, and so then you think you have yeah. all these things going on. And so I think there's a way to simplify um, yeah. the way we do things without, um, what's the word, like, giving up some certain lifestyle we think we're entitled to have, it's not going to change, right? Like our comfort level still will be basically the same. And I also, I mean, I've said this as well in other podcasts. I don't think that we can focus on convenience all the time um, because it's not convenient in the long term. That's the thing. I think that that's another thing that COVID is, uh, is teaching us in a, in a weird way and all the nasty surprises it holds um, you know, I can't just fly there because I want, like, do I want to, or do I need to, you know? And like, I know I'm, I'm away from the orcas right now. I'm away from my family who's in France. Like I'm in a beautiful place, but of course I'm like still far away from where I, I want to be. So it's hard, but also it's like, do I need to, to have this thing that I want? And I think we, you know, we grew up very much like, oh, I can, I can have this, like, in a button and then I have it tomorrow and learning that, yeah, maybe it's time that 
things aren't as convenient and things aren't as, you know, fun and like everything's just in the palm of our hands whenever we want it. And it's hard, but also, unfortunately, it's the reality of the situation and we, we gotta, we gotta do it. We, we do. And I think yeah. all these things, like you're taking care of so many things with this film showing the interconnectedness. So showing the realities of what's happening with the orcas and the salmon and showing just the fact that there are people interested in Europe that are, that are on board with this is great because then it does show that there's interest on an international level and that can only help uh, bring on more awareness, more projects um, all around so that people can say, oh, I'm going to do something on the, the whales in Norway, for example, or however it's going to grow from this mm -hmm. one seed in a way. And so hats off to you. I mean, that's, that's great. This project's yeah. amazing. And also thank you so much for taking time to talk about this project with me on the show. And what I'll do is I'll also put some links on my website to some, um, to the film, but also any helpful links that you think are helpful with awareness on what's going on. Um, I know that there's a lot of online petitions that are very easy for people to go on the US or Canadian governments and be able to sign petitions or find the information so people don't feel overwhelmed. They just go and they can say, oh, here it is. Here's the information. This is the, what I need to write. It, it's not a huge deal. It doesn't take a ton of time and it's worth it. Like you said, they want to hear from us or they don't want to hear from us. <laughs> but, yeah. um, but the more that we can do those type of things, then we can feel that we're doing our part, you know? Yeah. And I, oh, I, I feel like I want to end that like kind of rough note. Um, and yeah. I think it's a bit of like, we've learned a lot from the March of, uh, Oh, it's going to sound bad. And I, and I don't want to, but I also found this quote yesterday. I'm going to, I'm going to read it to you because it's, um, it's, it's perfect with what I'm trying to say. It's uh, we have to stop telling stories about making people wrong. And I think we have to stop telling stories about hope. The reason is not because I want to make you hopeless, but really I want to make you hopeless. And the reason I do is because hope is the pretty mask of fear. There is no hope without fear. And what, when, and what we need to be is absolutely fearless. That's what we need in our stories, courage and fearlessness. Okay, we got the problem. Yeah, wow, that's a bummer. Okay, but I'm not going to dwell on the problem. Let's go to work. Let's do it. And let's include everybody in our story, in our work. That's from Paul Hawken um, at the Jackson Wildman Film Festival. And I think there's this thing that I've noticed with, with the march and, and you know, with myself and in how I act as well. Because um, it's hard to see the other side of it, but there's almost like, oh, well, I'll do my part and then we're good. But we are tackling such a big issue that you almost have to do more than your part. And you know, it's, um, it's really hard what we're tackling. And I, and I don't want to overwhelm everyone that's listening to this. I know I feel overwhelmed sometimes and you just got to be like, okay, well, you feel overwhelmed and you feel like it's too big of an issue to tackle. And you know that you need to do way more than what you're doing, but then you need to kind of go back and be like, okay, but I also can do everything that I can do, you know, and whatever that looks like for you. 
and then whatever, maybe you're like this really smart engineer and you can create this, this solution, you know, maybe you are an artist and you can inspire people. Maybe you are a teacher and you can teach. Um, there's so many things we can all do, but we need to remember that this issue is bigger than all of us and we can only tackle it by, you know, showing up, doing everything you can and like fighting courageously, fearlessly. And yes, it's hard, but we have to. Yes, I like that. I like that quote and I like that philosophy because we need, we need to feel like there is a certain urgency and we need to think like, oh, I feel afraid. What am I going to do with that fear? I'm going to act on it because it's a yeah. real it's a real fear. There's fears that are kind of not realistic. And then there are real realistic fears. And what can we do about it? Well, we can still move forward even if we're, even if we're afraid, because to me, courage is like being afraid and moving forward anyways, being like, yeah, I'm, I'm scared and that's okay. I'm, it's not going to stop me. It's not going to, um, freeze me in, in place. And like, I can't move now. I'm so I'm petrified. Right. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm moving forward anyways. And this is what I can do. I'm going to do it. Right. Yeah. I think there is that, that really strong balance between like, uh, giving too much hope and like, you know, okay, you do this and then like you call the government and then you're good, you know, and that's too much hope uh, where people feel like they don't have to act or if they just do a little bit, it'll be fixed. And then there's the other side of like too much fear where then people are like, oh, well, it's a lost cause anyway. Like, why would I like, you know, I've had friends tell me that, like, you know, it's like, a, it's like we're at stage four cancer, why would I fight? So yeah. it's that finding that balance when you're, you know, in our, because you're a storyteller too, when we're telling the stories um, about finding that balance to bring people together and then like, be like, okay, now go, <laughs> go fix it <laughs> with whatever you got, whatever the, you grew up with your gifts, you know? Yeah. Do you remember, it reminds me a little bit also when we talk about making a difference. I don't know if you remember, there was a long, a while back, there was a series of books called Chicken Soup for the Soul. I've heard about it. So I've like, this was like in the, like the late nineties or something, there was a man who would put out all these stories and he called them Chicken Soup for the Soul and they were all inspiring. And one of the stories he talks about two people are walking on the beach and the tide went really down low and there were all these starfish exposed, hundreds and thousands supposedly, right? And so they were, do you remember that story? And they were walking down the beach and uh, the guy was picking them up and putting them back in the ocean. And then at one point, one guy, the other guy said, do you really think you're gonna be able to save all these starfish? Do you actually think you can make a difference? And he picks up a starfish, tossed it in the ocean, and he said, I just made a difference to that one. You know, yeah. and it's just like, I like that story. It's because it's inspiring to say, well, yeah, we can make a difference even if we can't fix everything, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You're very right. So thank you so much for having this uh, time to share everything with us. We wish you all the best. And as soon as um, your film is out there, I will definitely post it, help you spread the word. Thank and, you so much. Uh, and for those of you that speak French, we will be doing also a podcast in French at one point. Um, so stay tuned for that because we will be doing more with Gloria. Thank you so much, Gloria. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.